Welcome to the LGBTQIA Plus Fantastica Graphics Digital Symposium podcast series. We hope you enjoy the series. If you have any comments or questions, drop us a line on our Discord server and join us for the roundtable discussion of the series on November 20th, 2021 via Zoom. For details, go to fantasticajournal.com and select the upcoming events heading. That's Fantastica with a K. Details are in the podcast info. The discussions are free and open to all, but registration is required for each Zoom panel. There are five panels in total. This podcast is part of panel two, Recovering History. The Zoom discussion will take place on November the 20th at 2.10pm GMT time. This podcast is presented by Mihaela Precup and Dragos Mania. Mihaela is Associate Professor in the American Studies Program at the University of Bucharest, where she teaches American visual and popular culture, contemporary American literature, and comic studies. She is co-edited with Rebecca Shear three special issues of the Journal of Graphic Novels and Comics on war and culture and sexual violence. She is the author of The Graphic Lives of Fathers, Memory, Representation and Fatherhood in Autobiographical Comics. Dragos Minir is a lecturer at the University of Bucharest, where he teaches courses in American literature, cultural memory studies, and film studies. His main research interests include the adaptation of history, cultural memory, and the relationship between ethics and fiction. Relevant publications include Western Nightmares, Manifest Destiny and the Representation of Genocide in Weird Fiction, and Infantilizing the Refugee, and the Mobilization of Empathy in Kate Evans' Threads from the Refugee Crisis. He is a recipient of the Sabin Award for Comic Scholarship in 2017. Their podcast today is entitled Sweet Tits of Billy, Reclaiming Queer History in Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles. The title of our paper is Sweet Tits of Billy, Reclaiming Queer History in Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles. Our paper examines DC's recent adaptation of Snagglepuss, a pink mountain lion that made his debut in 1959 on the Quick Draw McGraw show and went on to star in 32 regular segments of Hanna-Barbera's The Yogi Bear Show. Dos Butler lent his voice to character, who became known for lines such as Exit Stage Left and Heavens to Murgatroyd, with the intention of providing an imitation of the voice of Bert Lahr, the actor who played the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz, Mark Russell and Mike Fian's six-issue series, 2017-2018, to builds an origin story for the eponymous animated character by emphasizing his initially coded queerness and channels or appropriates American playwright Tennessee Williams by transforming Snagglepuss into a famous gay playwright whose work displays a preference for artificial language and melodramatic family conflicts. In the comic, however, the playwright, unlike Williams, is also eventually blacklisted during the McCarthy era. In this context, Snagglepuss is not so much queered as recovered as a canonical queer character with added flamboyance, swagger and a penchant for spending time at the Stonewall Inn, in a chilling atmosphere where self-preservation tests animal-human connection, salvation is finally to be found outside of the world of high art and in the low-medium animation, where the slightly elitist Snagglepuss finds a home as a cartoon character who initially appears in orange disguise, much as the earliest version of the original mountain lion who was orange. 
In our paper today, we are interested in exploring a number of questions. How does the recuperation of the original Quarkian Swishes Nagalpus as a, and I quote, sexy gay daddy, end quote, as the advocate described him, contribute to our understanding of McCarthyism, the Cold War, and present-day events from American history? Also, by suggesting that low culture forms like animation were able to provide valuable protection for subversives, how does the comic contribute to current debates about the status of comics in the cultural hierarchy? Finally, what does the mixture of human and animal characters bring to the story world of Snagglepuss? The Snagglepuss Chronicles builds a story world that features characters both from contemporary, literary, popular and political culture, from Dorothy Parker to Marilyn Monroe and Nikita Khrushchev, as well as from the Yogi Bear Show and related animated series such as the Huckleberry Hound Show. In Russell and Fian's adaptation, whose storyline develops between 1953 and 1959, humans and anthropomorphic animals live side by side during a dark time in American history, when alliances are fragile, conformity is brutally preserved, and difference is swiftly punished. By drawing parallels to Trump's America, the comic also functions as a reminder that fundamental human rights are gained slowly and lost easily. Much as playwright Arthur Miller, also featured in the comic, used the Salem witch hunt to make veiled references to the Red Scare, so does writer Mark Russell use the Red Scare to draw a connection between the fear of communism and the fear of immigration, as well as various perceived forms of moral deviation, including, including attacks on abortion and the LGBTQI community. The comic does not suggest that those engaged in the persecution of creators and intellectuals during the 1950s were earnestly fighting to secure America's future, but rather that they used the perceived Soviet threat to create national paranoia and promote their own agenda. In doing so, the comic also points out the disingenuousness of the Trump administration, whose reliance, whose apologies, rhetorical strategies relying on fear, bullying and scapegoating were strikingly similar to those displayed by McCarthy's acolytes. The comic shows how easily progress can be lost and how swiftly democracy can deteriorate. At the beginning of the comic, Snugglepuss is in a position of power as he is publicly perceived as an American success story. He feels protected by his fame and success but has also carefully crafted a social mask to which his wife, Lila Lyon, also knowingly contributes. This allows him to lead a double life in peace. He is thus initially quite dismissive of the actual threat posed by McCarthyism. He has already been called in front of the HUAC once, did not reveal anything compromising and was allowed to return to his life. His partner Pablo, who is Cuban, and who eventually returns home to fight in the Cuban Revolution, argues against this type of political apathy, and I quote, Every nation is a monster in the making, and monsters will come for you, whether you believe in them or not, end quote. As the action progresses, Snugglepuss becomes increasingly aware of the seriousness of the situation. After being called in 
called after being called in front of the HUAC for a second time, and his childhood friend, Huckleberry Hound, is arrested at the Stonewall Inn. Huckleberry Hound's reputation is tarnished in the press, and he later commits suicide. Unable to find work after he is blacklisted, Snugglepuss is finally offered a position as an actor for his own television show. Post-theatre animation is thus presented by the comic as a haven of those mistreated and rejected by the system, a refuge, but also, it is suggested, a possible place of subversion. The only obstacle is Nagalpus's own snobbery and his initial inability to produce, as Quick Draw McGraw suggests, a catchphrase that is more, afli- more uplifting than his initial concoction, Sweet Tits of Billy. The comic thus advocates for the importance of political involvement and commitment, be it overtly manifested through revolutionary gestures, as in Pablo's case, or more covertly, as in Snugglepuss's more oblique subversion through his involvement in animation. <clears throat> the Snugglepuss Chronicles interrogates both cultural hierarchies and the potential of so-called high versus low art forms to host genuine political protest, or at least offer refuge to those persecuted for their political convictions. The taste levels featured here are mainly seen through the lens of the main character, whose snobbery decreases as his political consciousness rises. We thus see him slowly changing his approach to popular culture genres. At first, he displays a sort of amused scorn as he creates a distinction between the clearly inferior television as the creator of stars who, I quote, show people who they'd wish to be, unquote, versus the superior theater home to actors who, I quote, show them what they are, unquote. In the comic, the star from this classification is only exemplified through the figure of the cowboy, that exemplar of hegemonic American masculinity that dominated the landscape of American film during the 50s, but also a figure who defines his masculinity, and I quote from David Saverin, through a form of male bonding that retained, at the least, ambiguous sexual resonances, unquote. Snagglepuss's narrow view of film and television is thus bound with a specific kind of contemporary mainstream masculinity that required its subjects to be buff, silent, and straight. His suspicious and scornful attitude towards quote-unquote stupid cartoons seems to stem from the same place as the popular perception of the medium as innocuous and childish. However, as we mentioned earlier, Snagglepuss does end up defending popular culture. It is this perception of um, certain media as innocuous and childish that some critics argue allowed the cartoon, the Snagglepuss cartoon from the 1950s, to operate as, I quote from Paul Wells, a potentially non-regulatory or subversive space by virtue of its very artifice and the assumed innocence that goes with it, unquote. We are not suggesting animation should be idealized as a radical site of political protest, Thus, after its transition from theater to television, animation also began a process of amending its, I quote from Nicholas Salmond, less than honorable history of representational, performative, and industrial practices of racism, misogyny, and homophobia, unquote. However, by eliminating racist representations of black people, television programmers, in fact, erased blackness. And I quote from Jason Mittal, 
effectively created a white-only genre of programming, unquote. In this context, the early Hanna-Barbera cartoons were celebrated in the contemporary press for, and I quote again from Mittal, for their adult wit and satirical content. The puns, malapropisms, and old jokes that seem stale today made Hanna-Barbera cartoons appear groundbreaking in their intergenerational appeal. Programs that have long been condemned for dumbing down animation were viewed at the time as actually broadening the genre's appeal through intelligence and sophistication, end quote. However, the comic does not produce unreserved praise for either popular culture or television in particular. There is one minor character whose presence warns against the potential of television to foster a fascinated consumption of human suffering. There is a man uh, featured in the first issue who stops to contemplate a new television uh, set that is displayed in a window. He actually stops on his way to the Rosenberg's execution, for which he has thoughtfully bought tickets as a present for himself and his wife. Because of his temporary fascination for the clarity of the image, a quality of technological advancement that has him press his nose against the glass with no regard to the content of the broadcast, they manage to be late for the execution and are only able to witness uh, one of the Rosenberg's, Ethel Rosenberg's death. They miss uh, his execution. In her preface to her edited collection of essays on queer slash adaptation, Pamela Demery states that, and I quote, both adaptation and queerness suffer from the stereotype of being secondary, somehow less authentic. To identify something as an adaptation is to recognize it in relation to something else, something prior, something that for at least some people is more original and more true. Similarly, to identify something as queer is to place it in relation to something that seems to have been already established as, quote, <clears throat> quote unquote, normal or quote unquote, straight, end of quote. We argue that by going back and forth in history, by creating a web of connections among different media, such as theater, animation, film, and comics, and historical periods that stretch as far back as Puritan America in the late 17th century and as close to the present as the Trump administration, Snagglepuss's story world manages to obscure the cultural and aesthetic hierarchy that places the quote-unquote original first. And um, it also <clears throat> exposes and disturbs long-held beliefs about the inability of popular culture to host dissent. There are two matters, though, that give us pause. One is mas the first one is masculinity, and the second one is the last page, and we'll be approaching them in the uh, remaining time. First, we'd like to talk about the mas masculinity of the main character in particular. The Snagglepuss Chronicles provides a stage where the coded queerness of the initial animation hero, as well as American playwright Tennessee Williams' well-known but discreet homosexuality, are openly revealed to the readers alongside a condemnation of the mechanisms of repression that pushed them into the shadows during the 50s. As an embodiment of an openly queer version of Tennessee Williams, as well as the original animated character, Snagglepuss, the tall and muscular mountain lion who towers above all the other characters may be perceived as a correction of the sort of alternative masculinity embodied by both originals. Thus, even though the comic does not propose the human-animal hierarchy, the powerful mountain lion lends his strength and commanding physical presence to the adaptation of the main character. 
Snackle Pussy's homosexuality may be a reference to Tennessee Williams and the campiness of the original animated character, but his muscular and agile masculinity rewrites the alternative masculinities of both the character both of the characters it pays tribute to. Does uh, this imply that the masculinity that the comic gives to Snagglepuss, which is also compounded by his strong political stance, which Tennessee Williams was decidedly not known for, um, uh, does, so does this imply that the, the kind of masculinity that the comic gives to Snagglepuss is something that needs to be taken away in order to allow the comic book character to appeal strong before us, his audience? By suggesting that animation is a place where Snagglepuss in fact plays a version of himself, how are we to interpret the shrinking undergone by the massive lion? This origin story seems to suggest that effeminate flamboyant masculinity is a useful mask, whose validity is predicated on the existence of an original, now erased, strong masculinity. There is also the matter of the last page. The time span of the comic does not go beyond 1959, when in fact the wake of the Cuban Revolution, in the wake of the Cuban Revolution, the persecution of homosexuals became even worse. As, for instance, as Megan Sway's uh, shows, gay people were placed in re-education camps as they, they did not fit Che Guevara's notion of the new man. And this led to a spike in immigration to the United States, as Arguelles and Rich show. The persecution lost some of its strength in the mid-70s, uh, as Sway's points out. By idealizing the post-revolutionary regime in Cuba, where Pablo is a well-respected official writing letters to his former partner from his comfortable office across from the Capitol building in Havana, the comic provides a simplified and vague support of social pro protest that obscures the issue of the persecution of gay people by both left and right-wing political organizations in the 50s, 60s, and beyond. On the other hand, um, the comic also ends on a playful portrayal of Nikita Khrushchev, uh, whom it has previously presented as both a ruthless and shrewd political operator who does not shy away from eliminating his rivals. So both as a shrewd political operator and as a worthy opponent to Richard Nixon in the famous 1959 Moscow World Fair kitchen debate. In the comic, Khrushchev appears to be the undisputed winner of the debate with lines such as, and I quote, your system is a sham that takes credit for the very things it tries to destroy. You worship the music of people who can't even drink from the same fountain as you. Or capitalism doesn't make you creative, it just makes you better at commodifying your victims, end quote. Khrushchev's gleeful face as he is engaging in a playful cornfight with the American farmer is juxtaposed on the last page with Pablo's more somber one as he is trying, perhaps unsuccessfully, to reach his former partner. The positive light in which the last page appears to cast both the political regime from Cuba under Fidel Castro and as well as Nikita Khrushchev and by extension the Soviet regime under his rule is in contrast with the top and bottom panels which show America as a wasteland that kills its dissenters. This choice appears to propose a reversal of moral positions. By showing Khrushchev throwing corn instead of missiles, as a Snagglepuss, again on the last page, reminds uh, Huckleberry Hound of the vital importance of storytelling, even as his former partner attempts to write to him, the comic suggests once again that in times of crisis, 
and persecution, salvation lies in anarchy and creativity. Thank you very much for your attention. We hope you enjoyed the discussion of Exit Stage Left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles. This podcast series continues with Brian Baker, who will be discussing queer anarchism and punk comments in The Invisibles and V for Vendetta. If you enjoyed the series or have questions, join the conversation with us on Discord and on November 20th, 2021 for our Zoom webinars. For details, go to fantasticjournal.com and select the upcoming events heading. The discussions are free and open to all, but registration is required for each of the five Zoom panels. We look forward to seeing you there.